morning. There you go. Thank you, Lord. God is good all the time. He is with us and he is for us. Come on now. It don't get much better than that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Doesn't work when it's upside down. Thank you. Yeah, like Devin said, we definitely want to be lifting up Pastor Lucas and the girls. And it couldn't hurt to throw a prayer, one or two, towards Devin. Uh, just leave it there. Thank you, Lord. Have you come prepared to worship in the music and in the word this morning? Man, God is so good, and I believe the Lord wants to speak to us just like he does every Sunday. Um, I'm just blessed to be a part of it. Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I have come to give you life and life abundant. Life abundant. Amen. If you ask 10 Christians what the abundant life is, you'll get 14 different answers. And it's not that unusual because so many people have so many different things they focus their teaching and doctrines on that sometimes it gets a little confusing, and it's understandable. Joshua, and in the Psalms, it speaks of promised blessings. It even shares ways to how to prosper. But then in Hebrews... 11, it shares about great men, great men and women of faith who struggle, and many times it costs them everything for their faith. Paul says, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. But then Matthew says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in heaven. Confused yet? Me too. So I spent a lot of time this week just kind of meditating and studying and, and uh, on the abundant life. And there's so many doctrinal statements and theses on, on the abundant life. And as I spent time trying to Simplify doctrinal statements. Um, if I had to put it in one word, the abundant life. Christians who are living the abundant life that Jesus spoke, I think I can bring it down to one word, and it's love. Love. Love that changes everything it touches. Love that is selfless. Love that is unconditional. Love that is complete, not only complete, but completing. It completes who we are. It fulfills the things in our lives that, that we must have to be a person who lives above the line. The abundant life begins the second Jesus Christ redeems you and saves you and delivers you and gives you eternal life. And it continues throughout your life as that love, the abundant life, is doing a work in us. It's changing us. It's, it's completing us. It's maturing us. It is, it is helping us to be people who love. 
people that are more like Jesus. Love, the abundant life. Ephesians tells us that if you're a believer today, that he has given you every, say every, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. The abundant life. To put it simply, the abundant life is a life greater than we could ever imagine. Greater than we can ever imagine. Abundant life equals abundant love. Unfortunately, just as many people in this world and in our country live below the poverty line, so too do Christians live below the line of the abundant life. The abundant life that Jesus spoke about. Unfortunately. But God's got a word like he always does. And I'm so thankful for it. Uh, this morning, our text is going to be found in Revelations chapter 2, and I think we're going to have it up there, so I'm going to, I'm going to read off the screen this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, check it out. Make sure it's the real deal. If not, bring your Bibles. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things say, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And you have found them liars. And you have preserved and have, you have preserved and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, and this is the New Living Translation, wherefore? Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I always want to say Nicolodians there which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let's pray. Father, we do love you and thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for, for redeeming us, for loving us first, for giving us abundant life. We are just, we are blown away by your amazing grace. Lord, allow your word to speak to our hearts this morning and God, we desire nothing more than to love you. So help us today in our failures and our shortcomings and in our whatever we are. And help us to just be the men and women that you've called us to be, living an abundant life. I pray, God, this morning that as your spirit speaks to the hearts of your church, I thank you, God, that you would erase anything that comes from my mouth that is, is off point or is irrelevant to the hearer. Just let us hear from you. We thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. For the sake of our discussion or our talk or whatever you call these things, I want to talk about four people groups. And in these four people groups, I know people hate statistics, so stay away from statistics, but there are 
for, this, for the cause of our talk this morning. There are four people groups that the church falls into. And as I just kind of throw this out there and see if it sticks anywhere, um, allow it to be in the context of relations. Um, man to woman, woman to man, or however you want to go with that. Um, but also in relations to you and Jesus. You and Jesus. First people group. This person or persons is in love, head over heels in love. This person, all they think about is the one they love. And when they're not thinking about them, they're with them. And all that matters in the world is that that happens. That's it. The world could be falling down around them. It doesn't matter because they are in love. Second people group. This person or persons are in love. They are, their thoughts and their actions, they're, they're, they try to go the extra mile to bless the one they love. They're sensing the ebb and flow of the relationship and are, are wanting and desiring to move in that. These two people groups, I believe, are above the line, the spiritual poverty line, which represents the abundant life. Third people group. This person loves to be in love. This person is a person who, as the ebb and flow of relationships go, they focus on that instead of the one that they love. It's not that they don't love the person. It's that they love to love instead or in front of. And then the fourth people group, very simply, is a person who has experienced love that's transformed their lives or has touched their lives. They enjoy it. They receive it. But they put very little effort into the relationship. They put very little effort into um, cultivating not only the ebb and flow of relationship, but... Um, they're just lazy. Now, if you're in the church of Jesus Christ this morning, you fall into one of these categories. I'm sure you can find other categories, but for the purpose of what I want to, where I want to go, we fall in there. The bottom two, three and four people groups, are living below the line. They are living below the spiritual poverty line. Now, today, where are you? No hands? Just take a heartfelt inventory this morning because there is no growth without evaluation. And this actually happens for a, a very great purpose. The purpose is that Jesus said that I have come to give you abundant life. In our text this morning that we read, Jesus himself is writing a letter to seven, he writes seven churches, a letters to seven different churches. This is the first church, and this church is the church in Ephesus. And you may be saying, well, what in the world does this have to do with me? Well, the church in Ephesus, the culture, and the society in Ephesus was a lot like Western Christianity. It's a lot like American 
isms. There are some similarities. The very first thing that jumps out at me is that Americans respect someone who works hard. It's just, whenever you see somebody who works hard, you respect that person. You, know, you see people who don't work hard, your respect level is a little less. Well, this church was a hard-working church. This church, their members were, and, and let me just say this. When I say church, we're talking in both senses. We are talking corporately, and we are talking individually, because we all know that we are the church, right? But we are the church who meet at Coastal's building or in the region of Shalot. I had a guy pull up to me the other day, and I'm sitting at the light, right? And the dude's like, roll down your window. Roll down your window. I roll down my window. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, settle a little bet between me and my wife. How do you pronounce this town? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, she's like, they're like, is it, is it Chalet? I'm like, no, it's Shalot. Shalot. We are the church that meets, we are the church of Shalot, if you will. These are, these are letters written to the church leaders. Let's not forget that. It says, let me just read it to you. Write this letter. This is Jesus Christ telling John the Apostle to write a letter. And in essence, Jesus is saying these words. Write the letter to the angel. That simply means the angel is, is not spiritual. It's not a spirit being. It is the leader of the church, for our purposes, in Shalom. Or whatever region he's speaking to. So they write, Jesus writes this letter, states this letter, inspires by the Holy Spirit to tell John to write this letter to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a, was a, a happening place, if you were into happening places. Um, it would be the, the New York or the L.A. It, it was the capital of Asia Minor. It was a, it was a very large, um, it had, had everything, as, as everything goes in this world. They had it all trade routes, had commerce, had, had higher society, had some of the greatest architectural buildings um, in the world, in the ancient world. So it was a lot like today and a lot like where we live, not so much Shalot, but America. We are blessed. We are beyond blessed, and we shouldn't be, feel guilty about it. But the truth is that there is a lot of similarities here between these two churches. Second thing is they prided themselves on knowing the genuine from the phony. And Americans, we were pretty good at sniffing out the phonies. All right? This church was like this. This church, um, as it was growing in Ephesus, people groups come from all around. All four of those people groups we talked about came from all around to join the church in Ephesus. A lot of those people brought a lot of problems. And a lot of doctrines that, wherever they came from or whatever the purpose, were not orthodox in, in nature. And this church in Ephesus was a very solid doctrinal church. This church that Jesus is talking to goes out of their way to be busy, to doctrinally be sound, and to, and to endure persecution. Because there's a, everybody in Ephesus seems like hated the Christians. 
they weeded out all the false prophets or those who came with a message and called them to be liars, the text told us. So the churches, if we were to ask or, or talk about a church today that was doctrinally sound, solid, orthodox, down the middle, doesn't get swayed left or to the right, and they won't be moved off that truth, and there were active people in the church, we would say that is a good church, right? It's a good church. It's not good enough, Jesus says. In the second verse, it says, I know all things you do. Now, we know that God is sovereign. We know that God knows everything, right? But it's something different when God says to you, I know, it says, all the things you do. And, and, and in this section of text, it's telling God is really, Jesus, our Lord, God, the Son, is, 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 is edifying his church. He's, he's condemn, or condemning them, confirming them, and, 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 you know, lifting them up, saying, I know all that you do. Now, if we just got a hold of that, that would change a whole lot of stuff. That God knows everything, Kyle and Chris and Tim and, and all the volunteers and everybody here, he knows what you do for him. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles and they're not. You have discovered them as liars and you patiently suffer and without quitting. Sounds like a great church. God knows all. He knows you. He knows me. He knows all that we do for him, even when it hurts. But he says this. I have this complaint against you. You do not love me as you once did. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works that you did first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand and its place among the churches. But this you have favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nickelodeons. Nickelodeons. Just as I do. Those of you guys and ladies who fish on the water, you know, most of us, a lot of us, anchor down where we find our spot. We got our spots and we anchor down. And, and, in, and where we live, the tides rise and drop. And, and a lot of times when the tide rises, you lose your anchor. Your anchor comes off the bottom and you start to drift. This church started to drift. They were doing a lot of good things, and they were sound biblically, but they started to drift. They lost their anchor. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our anchor. That anchor comes off the bottom, and you begin to drift. You don't really know when you start to drift until you move from where you were to where you are. That's where this church is. They had lost the most important thing. They have lost their first love or the way they loved first. It's not that they didn't love Jesus. It's just that they didn't love him first anymore. This church was living below the line. Not only that, he goes on and says, 
you don't love each other the way you did once. You don't hear this preached much, okay? Because it's not like real comfortable. But this is Jesus talking to his church. And before I gave you people groups, and you may have put yourself in a person group, people group, whatever. I've been, personally, I've been in love with Jesus, where nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered but just me and him. But then I've also been where I've served and loved and tried to bless him back. But I also found myself below the line. And you know, if you can, if, if you can get there and be honest, you know, honesty, God already knows. You know, when we're not really quite honest with God, we're really only deceiving ourselves because he already knows. So it takes a lot of courage to, to take evaluation of where we are sometimes. I loved religion. I loved the fact that it probably started when my mother died a few years back, or longer than that now, but that shouldn't have happened to me. Me and God were tight. We were in love, right? And I'm doing everything I can for him. And he answers all my prayers. And she died. And I know the answers. I know the, what to say. You know, I know that I'll see my mother again. I know all, all the, the Christianese that goes along with this. But it wasn't supposed to happen to me. But it did. So what happens as I'm reflecting back, see what happened was three or four years ago, I was teaching the book of Revelations and I started studying this passage. And in this passage, um, God just illuminated this truth to me that, dude, you're drifting, man. And um, wow. And as a pastor and as a leader of church, leader, one of the leaders of his church, that kind of very sobering. Someplace you'd never, you ever been someplace you never thought you'd ever be? Well, I was living below the line, drifting. And as I was preparing to teach the revelations in, in another church, um, God revealed this to me and it really freaked me out. That's only what I can tell you. It just kind of, my anchor came off the bottom and I didn't know it. And, you know, I love the daily method of operations and, and, you know, the systems of the church and, you know, all the stuff that goes along with actually making all this happen other than listening to some great worship music and listening to a word. There's a lot that goes on, and I'm sure you know all that. But listen, I've drifted, so I want you to know that it's okay because there's good news. There's good news if you find yourself living below the line. Jesus has given away to set the anchor. He has given us clear directives to his church of how to fall back in love with him. And it's imperative that we get this. He first says to Jim, look how far you've fallen. 
not in some great sin, not in some great, you know, what we consider a moral failure or whatever, but the Greek word really means to be placed on high. You put your relationship with God on high and, and you've fallen down. He says, remember, remember back then. Remember when you were in love with me. I want you to do that. If you're here today and you're living below the line, he wants us to remember then. Remember when you got saved. Remember when the, you know, and all that mattered was you and Jesus, that when the grass was greener, the sky was bluer, you know, it was just great. Remember that. Because memory is a great tool against feelings. Feelings will deceive us, and they're based on circumstances. But we remember back, it changes things. The prodigal son. I'm sure most of us know the story. The young man wants his money from dad. Dad gives him, hooks him up, gives him his inheritance. He takes his inheritance. He goes, blows it. At some point, he realizes, man, as he remembered back, to his father's house, he realized that the servants were living an abundant life and he was scrapping for food in a pig pen. It was his first step back. Jesus tells us, remember, then. Then he says, repent. Now, biblical repentance is to change our minds. And, and I got a clip that, that teaches us this I'm hoping it teaches us this. <laughs> Biblical repentance. Got to turn it up. Peter hit me in the nose with a football. I can't go to the desk like this. Well, I'm sure it was an accident, sweetheart. An eye for an eye. That's what Dad always says. I never said that, honey. Shut up! Time to teach Peter a lesson. Marsha, eat a Snickers. Why? You get a little hostile when you're hungry. Better? Better. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Jan, this isn't about you. <laughs> it never is. No, I love that commercial. My wife doesn't understand why I love that commercial, but every time that commercial's on, I don't know if it's because I grew up with the Brady Bunch or what, but when Marsha puts the axe to the table after telling Dad, it just does something for me. But here, now, now follow me. Repentance, biblical repentance. The Snickers bar is the word of God. The, the condition of Marcia before the Snickers bar is where we are today, potentially. Once he partakes or she partakes of the Snickers bar, bang, new attitude. Everything changes. That's biblical repentance. Let me, let me give it to you this way. At some point, you've heard the name Jesus. You've heard the gospel. And it didn't mean anything to you except it was a story and a name. And then someday, somehow, bang, it changed. What happened? Biblical repentance happened. You've changed your mind. Change of mind manifests in the heart. Once it manifests in the heart, actions change. Jesus tells us to remember, repent, and then he says, repeat the things that you did once. Do them again. Do them again. Pray like you used to pray. Worship like you used to worship. Study God's word like you used to study God's word. Like it was only you and him. He says, if you do that, 
It'll change you back. You will live an abundant life. The life that Jesus said, love, abundant love that changes everything it touches. You, me, everybody. Take communion like you used to take communion. Whatever it may be, do it. Remember, repent, and repeat. Very simple. Changes everything. Now listen, and because of time, we're going to close. But I'm going to close with this. No matter where you are, and you are somewhere, no matter where you are, what people's group you're in, or what condition your heart is in, and, and whatever that is, listen, let me make this perfectly clear. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no guilt. The beautiful thing about Christ and his forgiveness is it's complete. Yesterday, today, and forever, it is complete. In other words, God doesn't hold any wrongs on account of you and me. When Jim blows it, God doesn't say, okay, I'm brightening that up. No. No. Not at all. And that's a freeing thing. So I don't want you to feel or sense because of me. If it's God, it's God and praise God. But there is no guilt. This is not a guilt trip. This is Jesus Christ clearly speaking to his church. But no matter where you are, what person group you're in, this is for you. This text is for you. Why? Because verse 7 says, anyone with an ear, let him hear. I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I'm pretty sure we all got ears. Right? Right? Right, James? They may not work as good as they used to, but we all got them. We all got them. He's talking to his church. And it's a beautiful thing that he talks to his church. He says to the church of Ephesus, listen. I need you to remember, repent, and then repeat if you want to live the abundant life. This has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with the abundant life. If you want the abundant life, do this. And you know what? The church in Ephesus listened. How do I know that? Because the church of Ephesus existed until the 11th century. That's 11 centuries after the birth of Christ that the church of Ephesus still existed. That means they listened. What happened different for this church? They remembered, they repented, and they repeated. They were sound doctrinally. They were workers. They did good things. But they didn't love Christ before that. The love for Christ and his people were after that. So no matter where you are, this is for all of us. Me first. They listened. Will we? Will we be here? Will Coastal be here in 11 centuries from now? Let's pray so. Well, let's pray not. Let's pray Jesus shows up and this thing over. Just start this thing over. God, any day, Lord, come quickly, he tells us, right? And, and listen, 
Sometimes when we think about relationships, we look at it from our perspective. We look at our relationships with whomever, and we look at what their love means to me. My God suffered and died a sinner's death for me. The reasoning here is that if Christ loves so great, he hurts just as great. So when Jim decides he's going to leave the house tomorrow morning and leave Jesus at home, that's a problem. That's a problem. And it breaks his heart. I'm closing with this text. Everybody knows the text. I'm not even going to tell you where it is. I'm sure you'll know. But hear this, church. We're called to love Jesus first and then love each other. We're good at loving Jesus, let's say. Let's just go with that. We're not so good at loving each other. If I could speak all languages of the earth and of angels and didn't love others, I would only be a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. Not like Chris does, but like, anybody remember the gong show? Some of the younger guys are like, what? Let's just go with the younger guys. Anyway, this is a stupid, very dumb game show where people would, people that thought they were talented would come. You know, Kyle can can relate. I'm sorry. (laughs) Let me, let me, let me, listen, I'm sorry. I knew it was wrong as soon as I said it. Ah, I got to remember where I come from. Repent. Forgive me. Forgive me. Um, Anyway, it was a stupid show where people would come and do stupid things. And if the judges deemed it stupid, they would run up there and hit this huge gong. I don't know why I went there, but we used to watch it. (laughs) The gong was a very annoying very annoying, non-profit. I don't even know what you use a gong for, and we don't use them, as far as I can tell. Negative. It was, it, it was pointless. I can speak all languages, even heavenly, angelic languages, and it profits me nothing. I'm, I'm worthless as an instrument. If I had the gift of prophecy... And if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and had such faith to move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body as a martyr, but if I didn't love others, I've gained nothing. The abundant life is abundant love. No matter where we are, we want to live the abundant life. The church in Ephesus heard it, they lived it, and they lived lived that abundant life. My prayer 
and I know it's Pastor Lucas's prayer and the leader's prayer, that this church, corporately and individually, would be people who love God first, before doctrine, before programs, before anything. It's got to be Jesus first in our relationship. has to be. That's our prayer. And then because that actually happens, and it will and does and will continue, we will be able to love one another the way Christ demands. Because he says, not to be a downer on anything, but he does say that if you don't do this, I'm shutting the doors. He's going to take the lampstand and close the doors. Bang. A lot of doors closing in churches these days. Why do you suppose that is? Ah, let's take a shot in the dark. God said so. A lot of good people, a lot of good things being done. But listen, love, love is the abundant life. Let's live the abundant life. Kyle, here you are. Let's live above the line. Amen? Jesus wants us to live above the line. We're not going to live poverty-stricken spiritually. Let's live radical lives for Christ. Amen? I know it's a tough word, but it's a word of encouragement. Let's see if we can shoot for 11 centuries. That would be awesome. Thank you, Lord. Hey, listen, why don't you all stand with us, and we're going to sing a song before we close the service this morning. And as we sing this song, if you possibly could reflect upon the goodness and the graciousness of Christ Jesus this has been and a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, okay. hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the sea.